So do you want to have a good Christmas day? I mean, you're already having one. You're here, right? So you want to have a really, really good Christmas day. Well, if you want to have a really good Christmas day, then don't lurk around, right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't stay and talk to people after church. That's not what I mean. By lurking around, I mean don't lurk around on social media. A study out this week from the University of Copenhagen says that if you spend too much time lurking around on Facebook on this Christmas, that it will create envy and jealousy in your life. It might ruin your holiday if you spend too much time there. Now, the study showed that if you're messaging people or if you're commenting interactively on posts that someone has, that's, that's fine because that's a, a little bit of relational engaging. But if all you're doing is, is browsing and scrolling, it could be dangerous. It could create jealousy or envy. Now, we know what that means, right? It means that you're scrolling along and, and you see all the toys and all the gadgets that everybody else got that you didn't get. Because all you got was some candy canes and a bag of fruit and, and a pair of socks with some armadillos printed on it. And you're thinking, man, I didn't get anything cool. Or, or you're scrolling through and you see that couple's house. Oh, man, it is decorated. It's, it's amazing. Their den, their kitchen, their... Gr- oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's right out of the, the pages of, of Southern Living. And you look around the room and you're going, man, my decorations look right out of the pages of Mad Magazine. And you just get a little discouraged. A little discouraged. Or you scroll by and you see that family that went to the castle in Europe for Christmas. And you're sitting there knowing that your Christmas dinner is going to be some burgers that your mom's heating up from White Castle that she got from the frozen food section at grocery store. Yeah. So you see, scrolling through could discourage you. It could create envy. It could create jealousy. And that envy and that jealousy could actually move into being discouraged and being depressed and even being a little bit afraid. Now, that doesn't sound like a holly jolly Christmas, does it? And so don't lurk today. Don't don't lurk around in the places that might intensify and even create fear in your lives. But it's not just lurking around social media that you could avoid. There's another way to not have fear on Christmas Day, and really not even just Christmas Day. There is a way for you to have true hope and true peace and true joy beyond just Christmas Day. True peace, true hope, true joy all the other days of the year. So how is that possible? Well, we're going to see if an angel can help us answer that question. Listen to Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all of the people. So here's some shepherds out in a field. An angel comes to them with this message. Now, for them, this is the most terrifying moment of their life. I mean, they literally are thinking, Okay, the world is about to end right now while I'm out in this field. But the angel says, Calm down. It's okay. Don't be afraid. So what is the greatest fear in life? Well, people could say a number of different things, but probably we could say, generally speaking, the greatest fear in life for most people is death. The angel has some news for that fear. The angel actually has some some good news, some great news for the fear of death. And we're going to see that news in just a moment. 
But the angel tells the shepherds, look, you, you don't need to be afraid. I've, I've got some good news, and it's good news not just for you. It's good news for everybody. See, what makes the manger so beautiful, what makes the cross so beautiful, what makes the empty tomb so beautiful, what makes the gospel so beautiful, is that it is a message for anyone and everyone. See, there's no one too rich to come to the manger, and there's no one too poor to come to the manger. There's no one too intelligent to come to the cross, and there's no one too ignorant to come to the cross. There's no one too religious to come to the empty tomb, and there's no one too sinful to come to the empty tomb. See, that's the, the good news. The good news is for everyone. And it is good news of great joy. It's not boring news. It's not sad news. It's not down news. It's not bad news. It is good news of great and fantastic and wonderful and awesome joy. And so what's the news that the angel brings? Listen to verse 11. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We live in a world where we're always looking for leaders. And that's good. We need good leaders with good wisdom and good discernment and a good dose of mercy in their lives. The danger we all face, though, is when we begin to devote ourselves and devote our primary hope to the leaders of this world instead of devoting our primary hope to the one who created the world. And so when the angel makes this announcement, the angel does not announce that a reformer has been born. The angel doesn't announce that a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a coach or a president has been born. You see, deep down we all know that what we need the most, we can never get from human beings. And this human in this manger was more than a human. More than a leader. More than a good teacher. More than a good guy. The angel says that he is the Savior. That he is Christ the Lord. And those are three very important words. Don't miss them. The angel says that he is the Savior, he is the Christ, and he is the Lord. See, that's the good news of great joy. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus saves. Jesus saves us from the fears of life, and he saves us from the fear of death. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't just save us from the fear of death. Jesus actually saves us from eternal death itself. His power and his authority is even over death. The carol that we've already heard and we mentioned last night, it's real simple. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and, and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ, he was born to save. The very nature of of the message of the gospel, the very nature of the message of the angel, the very nature of the message of the cross and the empty tomb is to say to me and to say to you, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Jesus saves. I love how the psalmist put it in Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light 
and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Who is it that I'm going to fear? Who, who can possibly come into that blank and make me say, I am afraid of you more than I am confident in Jesus? Psalmist is nobody. Jesus was and is the Savior. But it wasn't just the Savior that night in the manger. It wasn't just the, the Savior that rescues us from the fear of death. It was also the Christ, the Messiah. See, the angel in speaking to the shepherds that night is, is making a pretty clear announcement about this baby. The angel is saying, look, this is the guy. He's the main character of all of those prophecies that have been said for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the one. There will be no other one. This is the one. This is the Christ. He was the Savior. He was the Christ. And he was and is the Lord. See, we have this picture of Jesus as the incarnation of God. That Jesus became God in flesh on earth. We say, Emmanuel, that, that God came to us. But with Jesus coming to this earth, he didn't cease being God. He didn't quit being God just because he was on earth. He was fully man and he was fully God all at the same time. And can we fully understand that? No. But we know that it is true. In Exodus chapter 3, we have this interesting conversation that Moses is having with God. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, in the manger that night, I am was in the manger. God was in the manger. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Jeff Thomas writes, We in the church today, we have no wealth. We have no social prestige, no place in the sun, no music program, no techniques which will solve all the phobias and all the neurosis of men and women while leaving their hearts unregenerate and in a state of alienation from God. In other words, we have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. Our best will never be enough to make someone no longer be separated and alienated from God. But this is what he says. We can only offer to men and women Jesus Christ, the Savior. And if they don't want him, there is no alternative agenda. We can only offer the forgiveness of sins, the love of God, the indwelling power of God, and the hope of everlasting life. See, there is no hope in the church itself. There is only hope in the Lord of the church because he is the Savior and he is the Christ and he is the Lord. The announcement from the angel is fantastic. The shepherds were terrified. They had no idea what to think, but they knew the message was clear. The Savior was born. And where did the Savior show up? Listen to the next part of Luke 2, verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. No, serious. Even the smelly shepherds had to go, really? An animal stable? This is where the Messiah is coming to an animal stable? I mean, it seems really strange 
that the Son of God would be in a stable for animals. It seems really strange that the Son of God would be in a manger. And that's true. But you know, it's also kind of strange that the Son of God would be on a cross. You see, your ways are not God's ways, and my ways are not God's ways. See, God sent His Son to the earth in a smelly stable. And God sent His Son to a cruel cross to absorb the penalty of the sin of the world. But those, are, those are God's ways. So why does He do that? Why is it that, that God does things like this? See, we wouldn't choose the manger, and we wouldn't choose the cross. So why does God consistently handle things in a way that is opposite of how me and you would handle things? Well, here's why. Because God wants to be sure that people see his fame and his glory and his love. You see, God does things the way he does them so that I will not get attention. And God does things the way he does them so that you will not get attention. Unto Jesus be all glory and all honor and all power. Unto Jesus be all attention in the church. Unto Jesus be all the attention in the manger. That's the message of the gospel. And isn't it interesting that that, that hymn, that carol, Good Christian Men Rejoice, in the very first verse, it even kind of imagines that the donkeys and the cows bowed down to Jesus on that first night. That's a scene, right? So this attention is on Jesus. This announcement has been made. And so the shepherds are listening. And what happens next? Verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. This is stunning and extravagant and magnificent. In fact, there's no words we could use to describe this. If you were standing there that night, in every direction you looked across the sky were armies and armies of angels. And what does an army do? Well, an army serves and protects, and an army engages in war. And so we have armies of angels that could not just win a battle. They could wipe out everything in existence. But that's not what they do. See, this was a different kind of army on that night. This army was not bringing war. This army was bringing peace. You see, the baby in the manger that night, he was not coming to fix the economy. The baby in the manger that night was not coming to fix the government. The baby in the manger that night was not coming to, to fix poverty. The baby in the manger that night was coming to fix and save and rescue and redeem and give everlasting peace to your soul. That's what that baby was coming to do. So the army has a message. And what is their message? Listen to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. See, here's the thing. We can actually go through the motions. We can. We, we can, we can kind of play church. We can even come in on a Sunday morning after arguing with our spouse in the car and come in and still sing like everything's okay. <laughs> See, we, we can do that. No confessions, all right? Just, you know, we can do that. Angels can't do that. They, they can't go through the motions. 
they always perfectly worship in spirit and truth. And so here they are worshiping. They are extremely excited that Jesus has been born. And here's what's strange about that. They didn't need Jesus. The angels didn't have any sin. They didn't need a Savior. But they were very excited about the Savior being born in this manger. So if the angels, who were never going to have the thrill of hearing that their sins had been forgiven, if the angels, who were never going to have the thrill of knowing that the debt of their sin was going to be canceled, if the angels who were never going to have the thrill of hearing God the Son turn to God the Father and say, I have paid the ransom for this one, Father. He's with me, not guilty. If they were never going to have that thrill, and they were excited about the gospel in the manger, then how much more should we who have been rescued from sin, rescued from death, rescued from hell, how much more should we be excited about the gospel in the manger? We should be. See, here's the thing. Some people have not yet been rescued. See, Christmas is, is not an automatic peace for people. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I hope you caught those two words. In believing. The peace of Christmas, true Christmas, the peace of Christmas comes to those who believe those who are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus as their first and primary hope. See, that hope, that gospel, that clinging, that's the good news of great joy. Let me see if I can kind of help us see what this means a little deeper, just hopefully a more practical way of helping us see what it means to believe, not just in Christmas, but to believe in the Christ of Christmas. So a few years ago, I was reading a story about a a young couple in their 20s. Neither one of them were Christians. They had not been married, but they had been sharing a place together for some time. And she started going to church. And she heard the gospel. She heard about Jesus. She heard about her sin. And eventually she repented and God saved her. And then she started inviting him to church. And so he started coming. And he heard the gospel. And he heard about Jesus. And he heard about his sin. And eventually he repented and God saved him. Someone asked them not long after that what it meant to be a Christian. This was their response. It means that Christ is the one. He's the special one. He's the Lord. He's my king. He died for my sins. He's my Savior. He's in charge of my life. I belong to Him. I need to obey Him. I need to enjoy Him. How's that for new Christians, right? I mean, for those of us who profess to be Christians, is is that how we think and talk and act? I need to obey Him. I need to enjoy Him. He's in charge of my life. I belong to Him. 
Is that the attitude that people see in our lives, not just on Christmas Day, but all the other days? Well, they repented. They stopped sinning in their relationship. They joined the church. They, they went through premarital counseling. They got married. They started reading their Bible. They started obeying the things that they were reading in their Bible. They joined a small group. They started helping out in the nursery. They were plugged in. They bought a house. They started praying about starting a family. I mean, they were just doing everything right. She was a scientist. Her name is Amanda. And Amanda was able to, to ride her bicycle to work. She was that close. And one morning on her way to work, a car hit her and left the scene. She was left there on the side of the road. Her spleen had ruptured. Her spine was broken. All the bones in one of her arms were shattered. All the bones in her face were shattered. She suffered a traumatic brain injury, and she was left in a coma on the side of the road. Someone finally came along and saw her and called 911. She was in a coma for a long time. They thought she'd never wake up. The kind of brain injury that she had, only 10% of the people that had this type of injury ever come back to consciousness and functionality. But by God's grace, she did. And so her pastor went to see her in the hospital one day, and this is what he shares. So I'm on the way to the hospital wondering, what are they thinking? Are they questioning if God exists? Are they questioning if God even knows them or loves them or cares for them or is even involved in their life? That God sat up in heaven and decided that today was a good day to have one of his daughters hit by a car? Or were they thinking that God was punishing them? That God was angry with them? Was, was she wondering if God hated her and was like some kind of strange, violent father? And so he got to the hospital. He talked with her for a little bit. And, and finally he asked her, he said, so what are you thinking? And this is what Amanda said, one of the things she said. I'm thinking that Jesus was very nice to suffer for me. I'm thinking that he probably felt worse than I do. I'm thinking that he really loves me if he's willing to endure physical pain because I hurt all the time. In the middle of her pain, she still knew the gospel was good news. So this is what the pastor goes on to say. If I was an atheist, I would have told her the universe is cold, empty, and bleak. But so what? Only the fittest survive, and apparently you're not one of them. Or if I was a deist, I would have said, look, God's abandoned you. You're on your own. He doesn't know your name. He's not watching your life, and he's not going to help you. He says, if I were a pantheist, I would have said, well, there's no good and evil. Everything's one. And there's no judge, and there's no justice, and there's no eternal consequence. So the guy who ran over you, well, he wins and you lose. If I were a theist, I would tell her, well, I'm sure in some past life you did something horrible. And this is God's way of punishing you. So just suffer and pay God back. And do a good job. Otherwise, you'll come back again in the next life. And who knows, maybe next time it'll be worse. And then he says this. But I'm a Christian. And so I tell her that Jesus is a Savior. And he's Christ the Lord. That he doesn't do evil. And he's altogether good. 
And that he has suffered as she is suffering. And he will comfort because he understands. And he will teach her about himself. And one day, one day, she'll enjoy a fully restored physical body and an eternity with Jesus. Now that's good news, isn't it? It is. Now ye need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. That is good news of great and everlasting and unending joy.